everyone. Welcome to Be The Gift Connections. March is National Kidney Month and the perfect time to talk about the need for kidney transplants. Out of the more than 100,000 people on the National Transplant Waiting List, the majority, 85%, are waiting for a kidney. Last year was a record-setting year for kidney transplants with over 25,000 lives saved. But while there are more kidney transplants being performed than ever, the number of patients waiting for a kidney still remains high. Tonight, we'll first hear a story about living donation. Then later in the program, we'll be joined by a transplant surgeon to learn more about the need for kidneys, living donation, and the prospect of saving more lives in the future through transplant. Many of you who are watching know my first guest. Billy Jarvis is Senior External Affairs Coordinator for Tennessee Donor Services in Knoxville. He is also a kidney recipient and has used his transplant journey to influence others to register to be organ and tissue donors. Billy is currently in need of a new kidney. In January, he was accepted into the Living Donor Paired Exchange Program. Billy, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks all for having me. So we're going to talk about the donor exchange program a little bit later. First, what I'd like to do is get you to take us back to the beginning when your journey started many years ago. When did you start getting sick? It was actually about halfway through my freshman year of college. I started having some early warning signs, swelling of my ankles, hypertension. Um, but you're an 18 year old kid. You think there's, you know, it's not going to happen by any shape or form, but, uh, um, that's when it happened and it took about maybe a year for it to really go into full end stage renal disease. Mm -hmm. And so you're very active and you're an athlete. What was your reaction when you were told that you needed a transplant? No, oh, I was in total denial. It was, you know, there's just, uh, it was a family hereditary disease, but it hit most of my family and their, and the doctors told me probably in my late twenties, um, mm -hmm early thirties, but, uh, it was 19 and it, uh, um, I was, I was kind of in denial at first, but I got to the point where I was sick enough that, um, I realized it was time to, to do further, uh, you know, treatment and, and actually, uh, start the whole process to maybe have a transplant at even 19 years old. Right. That's, that's gotta be devastating at 19. You know, you're ready to take yeah. on the world, you know? Uh, yeah, so all your friends are going to parties and, yeah. you know, ball games, and here you are, you know, fighting for your life. Mm -hmm. So tell us how life changes when you're on dialysis and you're waiting. It, um, you really become, that becomes your kind of your family because you see them every other day for four and five hours. Um, uh, I was by far the youngest person there. You know, I was a 19 year old kid and everybody else was in their you know, 60s and 70s. And um, I was kind of... Uh, um, one of the ones that was kind of a inspiration to us and those, I would go play, you know, baseball or, you know, flag football as soon as I got done. And I, you know, I tried to stay as active as possible and I continued going to school and, um, but it got to the point where I just couldn't do that anymore. And, uh, I needed a transplant to live. Um, and that's where I was at. Mm -hmm. Tell us about when you got the call, uh, that a match was found for you. Well, I was actually put on the status one list. I hadn't, less than maybe a month or so to live. And uh, I remember being, in, you know, basically uh, getting the call at, you know, middle of the night, like most people do. And, um, and you know, they tell me it was a young person that was, you know, 17. And um, 
I remember, you know, you think about their family immediately. I can remember how elated my mom and dad was that their son was going to live. But, I, you know, you knew there's another young man who's the miracle he was family was praying for. It didn't happen. Uh, so, um, you know, we rushed straight to the hospital and uh, it would work perfect. And, um, you know, I was able to keep it for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. What has the gift of a kidney enabled you to do over the years? Oh, so yes, yeah, more things than I ever imagined. Um, you know, I, I had it at 21. You know, I was able to go back to school and and uh, you know finish school and be a you know a husband and a father and a teacher and a coach and a you know um, um, and do all the things you can. You know, you see me some of the pictures. I've you know played competitive tennis. I've walked water rafted. I've hiked. I've you know it's been an I've lived an incredible life. Um, mm-hmm. It's. Uh, I kept it 31 years, um, which I, I was told I, if I kept it 10, that was the goal. Um, and, you know, 31 years, you can put a lot of things into it. Right. Well, I've got to tell you, I think you should be the poster child for uh, that transplant is a second chance at life because you are so active and just involved in so many different things. And that's including um, sports, which is awesome. And I don't think a lot of people think about that when they think of a transplant patient. You know, they think of someone even after the transplant that life cannot be normal. But you know, you're proof that that's that's not the case. Well, I've it's been an athlete before. I mm-hmm. think that's probably part of the reason I did so well. I've continued to push myself and be as healthy as possible, and um, you know, exercise. You know, not every day, every other day, and, and like I said, complete competitive tennis and golf, and you know. Uh, softball and you know mm-hmm. basketball it was just I never really stopped and um, I just had the mindset I was going to try to thrive and not just survive mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's suddenly the, the good Lord helped me get through that for sure right so now when did you find out that you needed to go back on the waiting list well there you go um, I had you know after 31 years of a transplant it was it was kind of on its last you know probably a couple of years and Unfortunately, the pandemic hit and I got COVID for the third time and the third time it hit me really hard. I had like a inflammatory response and was in very bad shape and threw a bunch of blood clots in my transplanted kidney. And it really just uh, it really did a number on it and, and they could not save it. And after a week, of maybe 10 days in the hospital, I realized I would have to go back on dialysis. Mm, I know that was hard, which, I, you know. And that's the thing. It was so many years ago that I did it. It was almost like you, it wasn't really me that did it the first time, you yeah, know, right. it was like, oh, Hey, that's another person, you know, another life, another <laughs> lifetime. So, yeah. um, but you know what? I decided I would face this like I'm you know, head on and try to, you know, uh, thrive and, and continue to work every day. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I still play tennis two or three nights a week. And, um, last Saturday, I finished dialysis, went and played a two and a half hour tennis match. And wow. um, I, I just have I've refused to let it control my life. And hopefully uh, through this paired exchange, I'll be back uh, in the next few months. And, and, you know, with my actually third transplant. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the challenges of finding a donor in your case after having a transplant? Great question. Um, most people think, OK, you just, you know, have somebody that's, you know, a friend that'll be, a you know, same blood type, they can transplant them. Unfortunately, when you have one transplant, even or even two, you become um, sensitized. Your body builds up antibodies. So 
uh, it's not unusual for a, a repeat transplant patient to have an antibody level of 75, 85%, which means 85 out of 100 kidneys automatically is not a match. So I think, Don, I had 50 people reach out to be tested. Wow. And out of those 50, I think I had two that were matched. Uh, I think one may have had a, some issues with a kidney being smaller than the other. And I think the other maybe had some underlying health issues that I didn't realize they had. But that's how, you know, my antibody levels are a little bit higher because I had a transplant 31 years and that was my body's immune system. You know, even though I needed it, it, it built up, you know, kind of an immunity to, to the next transplant. So that's why we're kind of doing this exchange program. Right. So um, how did you go about asking people to be tested? I didn't. I would never do that. I had a donor champion um, who was a friend of mine who basically would put things on Facebook and said, Billy needs, hey, had it. Billy needs a kidney 2.0. Um, and I just had tons of friends and family and really people I'd never even met reach out and call the hospital and want to give me one, which was incredibly touching and heart moving that people that care so much about you, they would actually, you know, go through something that's not easy to do to, to right. really change your life. And, and, and it, it, it made me um, realize how lucky I am. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And what a good feeling that, that is that so many people are willing to step up and do that. Yeah. The, the living donor coordinator said that, he had two legal pads full of names that people wow. had called. He said, I've never had more than maybe 20. And he's like, it's two legal pads full. So that's just, that makes you feel great about you sure. really touch lives and you've made hopefully an impact on, mm -hmm. uh, and on people for sure. And I think that has, it's through your work. I think. Yeah. That, you know, it's been, you know, having been at work at TDS now for 24 years and, and made so many relationships with donor families and other recipients mm -hmm. and just in the community, mm -hmm. um, it's been a great way for me to, to give back and, and be a part of something, you know, we work in every day. Right. Okay. So I wanted to bring in uh, Stephen Jamison. Um, he's going to uh, join us now. Stephen, thanks for being here. And most of all, for stepping up to help Billy and be a living donor. It's good to see you. Great to see you, Don. Billy, good to see you as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been, been a little while, but I'm um, just excited when I heard from you all and was excited to you know, get this opportunity to jump on and talk a little bit about uh, this transplant that's going to happen here soon. Yeah, we're so happy to, to get to hear your perspective. Um, but first, Stephen, tell us how you know Billy. So as you well know, I got some good pictures there of us. Uh, Billy and I go back for we've known each other for almost 10 years now, Billy, maybe a little bit over. Almost that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as you know, Don, we all work together at Tennessee Donor Services. Um, I worked there for close to 10 years, so going back to almost, I think, 2012 is when I originally started. Uh, worked with Billy closely in the public education department, and uh, we just immediately kind of connected, became friends, and um, we worked on a lot of different projects together, but mostly the one you see the picture there of us in front of the Donate Life mural, um, that was for kind of promotion for the transplant games. And uh, we worked together as coaches on the transplant games. We were both kind of the team managers. Obviously, Billy participated as well. Um, but you know, that was an awesome opportunity. And uh, we just kind of became friends um, over the years, co-workers, and uh, the, the rest is history. Now, when you heard Billy was in need of a living donor, what were your first thoughts? Um, my first thought really was before I, you know, I knew he got to the point where, you know, hey, we absolutely have to find a donor, right? So 
uh, when life of that original transplant kind of came to an end, you know, knowing Billy already, we had already somewhat had this conversation. You know, I, I knew at some point he was probably going to need a transplant. Didn't know when, when that would be, but I was already thinking about it. Uh, one of the reasons was um, I knew that we had the same blood type, which is rare. Um, you know, we both are, uh, Billy, you're B positive, right? Yeah. Which, uh, would there be a better blood type for Billy Jarvis than B positive? He's one yeah. of the most positive person I've ever met. So perfect. Yeah, pretty perfect there. Um, I'm B negative, so I don't know what that says about me. But, uh, so, um, but I was like, well, the fact that we're the same blood type, that's got to mean something. Um, that's, I think, 1% of the population, maybe, maybe a little bit less um, overall. So I was like, I'll at least definitely get tested. And Billy, I think I told you well beforehand. I was like, if and when you need a transplant. You did. It was I, years I before. You. Like when the time comes, I'll be the first person tested. Wow. Yeah. 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 So it was a no-brainer. Um, it was something I just I, I wanted to do immediately. And uh, you know, I thought about it for a long time. I, I knew the need for donation just through my work there at Tennessee Donor Services. I was obviously well aware. I spent a long time promoting donation and telling other people to register as a donor and how important this was. And then. I was like, this is my opportunity to do, to do something and really make a, a real difference um, and do it with the rare opportunity of being able to see the person that's going to be uh, receiving that gift and, mm -hmm. and kind of helping them. And, and obviously being a friend, um, like I said, it was just a no brainer. Yeah. Billy, I was telling Stephen we were talking uh, before we started taping and I told him when you told me that he was going to be the living donor, that it did not surprise me in the least because that's just the type of person that he is. Oh, there's no question. It's mm -hmm. uh Steve and I had some of the our my best memories in my lifetime with um uh, and some of the biggest laughs we've ever had uh has been with Steve. We you know, we hit like he said, we both been athletes and we hit it off from the get go and um you know, man, we just had this, you know, this bond that uh, you know, and he reached out and I you know, I told him, I'm like, you know, I can never thank you enough. And you know, he's just uh you think of friends, you know, there's there's no better friend that'll actually, you know reach out and save your life. Right. Stephen, tell us about the screening process that you've gone through to be a living donor. Uh, very extensive, um, you know, and I think for good reason, right? And I, I appreciate the extensiveness of it. So uh, this started about a year and a half ago, I think. Originally started at UT Medical Center where Billy was, was first listed. And, um, you know, just the, the original portion of it was just do a blood draw. Let's see if I'm a, a blood match, make, you know, confirm that. Um, then they'll test, you know, your HLA, see if their antigens are matching properly. And that's sort of what halted the original plan to donate directly to Billy. Um, like the other 50 people he was talking about earlier, I was one of those and unfortunately uh, wasn't able to be a direct match. So next step in the process, Billy let me know that he was getting listed there at um, St. Thomas here in Nashville, which has the paired kidney exchange program. So I'm like, OK, well, what's the difference, right? I'm going to if I was going to originally donate to Billy, um, I can help somebody else out. He still gets his, his kidney as well mm -hmm. by doing this. So it was like, you know, we'll, we'll just continue this process. Um, so a lot of testing involved, several blood draws. They do, you know, urine sample. Um, there's a basically a full day at the hospital where I met with the transplant surgeon, nurses, uh, nutritionists, um, just everybody that was going to be involved in that process. And they kind of break down and explain everything that's going to take place. They make sure you're you know, as well-informed, answer all of your questions that they can to make sure you're fully comfortable and understand um, the process. And then after that, there's a lot of uh, actual medical testing. So you do x-ray, EKG, um, a little bit of everything. And they're just poked and prodded and making sure that you're fully healthy to be a donor. Um, I passed all of that. 
I said, I'm healthy enough to do so. So now the next step and final step is just finding the official date uh, for it to take place. It, it's amazing how healthy you have to be. I know. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. They do. I don't think they, it is, you almost have to be no issues, mm-hmm. no, no, the epitome of health. And that's, uh, and there's a huge screening process. They're, they're not going to put a living donor in jeopardy. Right for anything to happen to make that happen. So, and that's the way as a recipient, you would want that. I would never in my wildest dream would want Steven or anybody else, you know, to, to have any other complications that, you know, because of what the donation process. Right. And I've talked to several, you know, um, kidney recipients who talked about before that they had people um, who um, could donate to them that were matches, but then in that screening process, something came up and they yeah. weren't able to. That's so, what happened with my one first person, something, I don't know, like, I, I don't know exactly what it was. It was maybe a smaller kidney or some issue. Um, but that, that again, they just like, oh, we can't take that chance. And, and you wanted to do that. Yeah, definitely. And, and during my process, you know, even I, there was a couple of times where doctors reached out and they were like, hey, we just found something. Um, we don't think it's a, a major concern, but we'll have to do some additional testing, right? So they really went above and beyond to mm-hmm. completely ensure, you know, that was 100% healthy and there, there was minimal risk, I guess, involved uh, for the process. So um, it just is a good peace of mind, you know, to, to know that they're doing everything they can to take care of you as well. And their main concern in a lot of ways is the is the donor more than it is the recipient. Although there's no question. Yes. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So have they given you a time frame as to when the surgeries will happen? So, um, I kind of gave them a time frame. They sort of ask, they, they want to work with your schedule, you know, make sure you can do it for work, life, everything else in between. Um, but the official time that I gave them was in May of this year. So we don't have an official date yet, but at some point between May 1st and May 30th, it, it should take that's, place. Yeah, that's that's okay. the kind of time frame. Okay, so will the surgeries, since Stephen, you're not donating to Billy, will still will your surgeries happen at the same time probably not okay probably within a week or so but probably not same day no so basically steven's gonna have his surgery and then a week or so later you'll have yours yeah right and i'll be there and i'm coming to hopefully cheer steven on those <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so uh, uh yes yeah, so, is steven's healthy and thin so they can actually do the surgery laparoscopically so he may get to go home if not the ne- that evening, the next day for sure. So he'll they actually on. told me so that morning the, the surgery should take place um, early in the morning, and they said if all goes well, um, I'll be out of the hospital by um, midday. You know, so by, wow. by noon that day, which I was pretty blown away at that evening with everything. Yeah, yes. it really is incredible. So and I'll be there um, three to five. Right. Yeah. So when I had one the first time. I stayed forty five days. Forty five. Forty five. Wow. Holy cow. It's yeah. come a long way. Yeah, really. You know, <laughs> yes. they say that the recovery is harder on the living donor. Um, so it the, used to be. But the, <laughs> the laparoscopic surgery now that that's changed everything. Yes, it has. Because they used to have, you know, you had a 12 inch scar and from your you know, belly button to the middle of your ribs and, mm-hmm. you know, took one of your ribs out usually. <laughs> Which would be so, kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. I, I think I'd look cool with a yeah. scar from my belly button to my ribs. Yeah. I don't know. Your badge of honor. Yes. 
thanks guys for talking to us. It's been great. Um, we wish you all the best for two successful surgeries. And what I'm thinking about ideally after everything happens is that if we could get you back on the program and possibly um, we could get um, Stephen's recipient and yeah. Billy's living yeah. donor, actual yeah. living donor on and have the four of you on. Wouldn't I that love be it. That would be great. So, so that's a goal. Well, I'll tell that you, Don, like you know, we, we realize there's heroes walking around every day we don't even know. And there's no question Stephen stepped up to be one of those uh, you know, for me, for sure. So uh, it's just uh, it's a totally altruistic gift that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. Zero. He feels great, but he's going to go in, step up and for a couple of days be highly uncomfortable. And I oh. never and I let and I'll tell him I'll take care of it as the best I can. He knows that. Well, uh, the last thing I'll say is there, there's the biggest reason I stepped up to do this in the first place, because I knew that would be your attitude towards this. And to you would you would do everything with that second chance and really, I guess, third chance now at life to live, you know, a, a more um, positive, you know, active life than most people do while healthy right i mean right. You're, you're one of the most active positive people i've ever met you make an impact on so many people you know don you mentioned there's and i think billy you thought about it too there's 50 people that signed up um and some people that, that didn't even really know billy that well so not right. even close friends but that's the type of impact billy has made on so many people you've known him for years don longer than i have and uh, it's just you know it was like that's why it was a no-brainer you know i knew uh the world's a better place with billy jarvis in it um he's impacted so many people over the years um that doesn't need to stop anytime soon. So we're going to make sure uh, that continues to happen. Well, thank you very much. Right. Well, you guys, both of you are an inspiration to me. And um, like I said, appreciate you sharing uh, this journey with us and take care. Thank you, Don. Thank All you right. much. I want to stay with us uh, because when we return, we'll be talking more about kidney transplants with surgeon Dr. Daniel Galvez back in a moment. Before I got my transplant, I was very sick. Brandon was born with a metabolic disease called methylmalonic acidemia, or MMA. And we knew since he was little that he was going to need a kidney transplant eventually. It doesn't cure MMA, but it's a treatment for MMA, and it would protect the kidney. I am extremely grateful to Brandon's donor because now he gets to live the life that he deserves to live. Because my transplant, I could do everything that I want to do. pleased to have Dr. Daniel Galvez joining us. Uh, Dr. Galvez is a transplant surgeon at the University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville. He specializes in liver, kidney, and pancreas surgery. Dr. Galvez, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Don. Happy to be here. We just heard from Billy Jarvis, who you know, and his living donor, who will be part of a kidney paired donation. And you know, I'm not sure if many people are aware of this option. When did the first kidney exchange occur? Thanks, Don. Yeah, uh, Billy's a great guy, um, and he's participating in this program. So 
can tell you a little bit about it. Um, it's It's been going on for a while, actually. And um, the first kidney-paired uh, donation exchange was done in South Korea back in the 1990s. But it wasn't until uh, 2000 that the first uh, paired was performed here in the U.S. Typically, how many are coordinated and around? Um, it can vary. So it can be as little as two pairs. And the way that works is um, you have a, a, a patient that needs a transplant with a living donor, but for whatever reason, they're medically incompatible. So they get pooled with uh, someone else that's in the same situation. And uh, that way they can find matches uh, between them. So it can be as little as, as two recipients uh, that get benefited from that, or we actually have a uh, world record here in the U.S. Uh, in 2015, there was a change. We call them chains whenever there are more than two. Uh, there were 35 people that benefited from, from the biggest wow. chain. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, you know, and just by this kidney exchange that so many more lives can be saved because without that, if someone needed a living donor, they had their, you know, friends and loved ones um, tested and didn't have a match, then uh, there wouldn't be that option. So, so that's awesome. That's uh, right. You know, the number of patients in need of a kidney transplant today is staggering. Uh, what are some of the reasons that we're seeing for the increased need for a kidney transplant today? Yes. So just to give you some numbers and to put it into perspective, there are a little over 90,000 people on the on the wait list, on the kidney wait list. Um, and last year, we performed a little over 25,000 kidney transplants, which was a record. But still, it's uh, not even a third right, of, of how many people actually need the transplant. Um, and to give you another another number, each year, there are about 37,000 people, 37 to 38,000 people that get added to the waitlist. So the so the waitlist just keeps growing, growing, growing. So um, another piece of information that's that's quite uh, shocking is that uh, roughly about 5,000 people a year die waiting for for a kidney transplant, and another a little less than 4,000 just become too sick on the waitlist to receive a transplant. Now, the reason these numbers are, you know, growing is uh, because, you know, the two major causes of uh, kidney disease here in the U.S. are uh, from diabetes and hypertension. Mm -hmm. uh, both conditions are um, prevalent amongst the population, the U.S. population, and the numbers are just growing. They're not coming down. So, unfortunately, we don't we don't see this problem um or the numbers coming down at least in the near future mm -hmm. you know when when we talk out in the community one of the things that we stress is that um, it just reminds us that it's so important that we need to be mindful of living a healthy lifestyle so that um you know we won't be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or, or hypertension in the future but it's just a, a real reminder That's how right. important it is that uh, that we do take care of ourselves. And, uh, you know, just, you know, it's uh, not hard to find a story in the news about some aspect of how unhealthy Americans are, uh, you know, and the waiting list is a glaring example.
uh, of how yes. uh, our bad health uh, impacting us. Absolutely. Uh, so at, at what stage of kidney failure are patients uh, in when they're referred to you? Yes. So um, usually the way it works is um, people who are on dialysis, um, they are seen by a nephrologist and they're followed by a nephrologist. Um, at some point, uh, either right before they start dialysis or right after, ideally, ideally right before, that nephrologist uh, refers into a transplant center. And that's when we see those patients, when they're referred to us uh, by the nephrologist. So um, a big part of our job, you know, a, a kidney transplant is not a, is not a minor thing. It's a major endeavor. And um, a big part of our job is to make sure that people who are referred to us are good candidates. Um, and to be good candidates, you have to be pretty much strong enough and healthy enough to recover from an operation uh, such as a kidney transplant. You know, we have to make sure that their hearts are strong, that their lungs are strong, and they can actually uh, physically are strong enough to, to recover from the operation. That's a good point because just because you're in kidney failure does not automatically mean that you can get on the transplant list. And exactly. that screening is pretty rigorous, isn't it? It's just not only physically, but psychologically people are evaluated. Yes, it's it's a pretty extensive, pretty big team that we have uh, or that any transplant center has. It involves transplant surgeons, transplant nephrologists, uh, nurse coordinators, social workers, psychologists, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. So whenever we have our our weekly meetings um, to discuss these patients that are, are, are referred to us. It's a lot of a lot of input that we receive from, from the entire team. Right. Um, so nationally, the average right now for the wait time for a kidney is about three to five years. What are some factors that determine how long a person would wait? Yes, um, it is three to five years uh, with a caveat. It can be a little longer in states that I have high density populations, such as mm -hmm. you know, the West Coast, California, East Coast, New York, um, Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania. So um, for the state of Tennessee, it's closer to you know two to four years, three to five years. Um, now, wait time is just one of the factors that that takes uh, that is taken into consideration. Um, there are, are a couple of other factors, um, such as um, you know, patients who have been uh, transplanted before, patients who have had multiple blood transfusions in the past, uh, people have, uh, or females that have been um, uh, pregnant multiple times in the past, tend to develop antibodies in their blood. And these antibodies um, make uh, pairing the kidneys a little bit uh, challenging because the more antibodies they have, um, the harder it is to find a good match with the kidney. So that's also taken into consideration uh, in the patients uh, waiting in the, in the list. Mm -hmm. Now, when is the option of finding a liver, um, excuse me, a living donor brought up? Uh, pretty much at the, at the first time we see them in, in their evaluation um, during uh, the, the transplant evaluation where um, either the nephrologist or the surgeon who meets with them talks about all the options and uh, living donation is, is certainly at the top of the list there. And, and um, 
as part of the living donation is, is the kidney period exchange if uh, they were, were to find a, a good uh, compatible match. That's interesting. Um, you know, the, the thing about living donation is that obviously we're not going to be able to meet the need just through deceased donations. So it's in, important that, that we have those living donors who are willing and able um, to pass on that gift to a friend or loved one or even a stranger. That's um, correct. Yeah. Now, what does um, post transplant look like uh, for most patients? Um, well, you know, we can divide it in stages. The, the first stage is actually recovering from the operation, right? The, the stage where they, they're in the hospital for a couple of days. Um, oftentimes they're in the ICU, so we, you know, keep a close eye on their vital signs and, and their labs. Um, and then once they recover from the hospital stage, which is anywhere about five to seven days on average, um, then, you know, that's just half of the of the recovery. The next half is is um, you know one making sure that they recover from the surgical standpoint that the incision looks okay, that the kidney's working okay, but also a big part of it is is making sure that the organ is is um, settling in and not getting um, damaged um, by the patient's own immune system. You know, uh, when we do a kidney transplant, we are putting a kidney that was not the patients were not the person was not born with it right so mm -hmm. the their their body's natural response is going to be to try to get rid of anything that's 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 foreign mm -hmm. um that's why we need to use uh, medications called immunosuppressive medications that will lower their immune system to prevent uh their immune system from attacking the kidney now as you can imagine if we're lowering their immune system that also brings um secondary effects such as uh, lowering their response to fighting infections for example which is a big deal after transplant we're very careful um very rigorous with our um, um detection of of infections pretty early on so that's something that we can't counsel patients and make them aware that they need to be extremely extremely careful and vigilant uh, when 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 dealing with with infections Definitely. You know, um, I think the great thing about the world of transplantation is that it continues uh, to improve and, and grow. Let's talk about some of the advances in, in kidney transplant surgery that's happened over the past few years. How has it changed since you started practicing? Yeah, well, I'm not that old. Um, so not much has changed since I started practicing, but I can tell you, uh, a lot has changed in the past um, 10 to 20 years, mostly on how we perform um, donor operations, mm -hmm. a little bit on how we perform the recipient operations too. But, um, you know, as technology just progresses and and, and um, state-of-the-art technology becomes available in surgery, um, you know, we're seeing better ways on doing the operations. Let me give you an example. Um, minimally invasive surgery that started with laparoscopic surgery, you know, the, the standard way of uh, how people get their gallbladders taken out, how they mm -hmm. get their hernias fixed, which is laparoscopically, um, was the first uh, step on uh, starting uh, on doing these, uh, the donor operations, the living donor operations, where we uh, take uh, the kidney out from a, from a healthy person donating to, to the recipient. 
And that has evolved in the past 10 to 20 years where now we're uh, using the robot. A lot, of people's, a lot of people might have heard about the use of robot in surgery, um, which is a tool we're now using to, um, one of the benefits of using the robot from a surgical standpoint, you know, this, they're getting the same surgery, but they're getting it with smaller incisions. Uh, oftentimes it is a little faster. Um, it, it speeds up their recovery in the hospital. And one of the biggest ones is that patients tend to have less uh, post-operative pain. So very exciting times to be uh, a transplant surgeon and, and to have all these resources available to us. Definitely. And that certainly can cut down on those recovery times because, yes. you know, I've always heard that uh, a living donor, their recovery is harder than the, the uh, recipients. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that's true. Most of the time. So although I did, um, we did one yes, uh, two days ago, we sent the patient home the following day. He, he's home now. He's doing very well. And I was surprised he was out of bed and walking around the, the night of surgery, which was quite impressive. That's great. Okay, so um, one thing I wanted to ask, and one of the reasons that I wanted to ask it is because a lot of times when I'm, I'm talking to people or groups, um, they have this question. So we hear a lot about stem cells. How could this research affect the availability and the success of kidney transplants in the future? Yes, uh, stem cells are uh, starting to uh, be used um, in transplants, and I can tell you how. Um, first off, it, it doesn't really have an impact on kidney availability. Um, it does have a huge impact on, or it could potentially have a huge impact on the immunosuppressive medications we use um, after after the patients get transplanted. Now, um, how does this work? It's, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, stem cells are, are taking out of the donor um, weeks before. Let me give you an example. We have a, a patient that is on dialysis, has a living donor scheduled in two months. So it's scheduled to receive a, a kidney from, from someone that's donating, from, from someone that's alive that's donating their kidney. Now, um, some programs, and, and I'm saying I say some, some because this is still experimental. It's not standard of care. There's a lot of research going around this, but there's still work that needs to be done and that's what's happening right now uh, that they're at that stage where uh, the project involves taking out stem cells from the donor freeze freezing them um, and then after the transplant and after the patient's received uh, some other medications um, those stem cells are injected to the patient uh, to the patient that received the, the kidney so he received the kidney and received the stem cells from that donor and these stem cells um, mix with the, pa the patient's own um, uh, cells. They replicate and um, they uh, protect the, that kidney. They protect the body from rejecting the organ without, oftentimes without the use of any medications or immunosuppressive medications. Wow, that is a, an exciting um, breakthrough. Um, and one question I, I just uh, thought of, is it, um, do you have a higher success rate for a transplant if it's a living donor? Success? Uh, no, at the end of the day, uh, the, uh, if someone gets a transplant, it's, they're getting a kidney and they're going off dialysis. Mm -hmm. There is um, 
there are certain benefits of getting living donation uh, living donor kidneys. These are mainly one. It's it's a scheduled surgery, so you know exactly when it's going to happen. Uh, so patients are not, um, you know, waiting for that phone call that can be, like you said, three to five years oftentimes. Mm -hmm. so the wait list, they, they can be much sooner than that. It can be even before they even start dialysis, which is the perfect time to, to do the operation because uh, that way they avoid dialysis altogether, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other big, big benefit of living donation is that um, if uh, a patient that needs a kidney uh, has a family member willing to donate to them, then they oftentimes share a, a lot of their DNA. So the chances of, of them accepting that kidney and um, well, developing rejection in the future are, are, are less. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Galvez, we appreciate you talking with us. Uh, I know I've learned a lot and I, I'm sure that our viewers have also. Thank you for your insight and your dedication to transplant. Thank you very much, Tom, for the opportunity. Very happy and uh, excited to be to be here with you today, too. And thank you for watching Be The Gift Connections. We hope tonight's program has been both informative and inspirational. There continues to be a critical need for kidneys, along with other organs that can be transplanted. The good news is transplantation continues to improve, giving life to more people than ever. So what can you do to help? Well, if you haven't registered to be an organ and tissue donor, there's no time like the present. It's so simple. Just go to bethegifttoday.com to document your decision. And remember to talk to your family about your decision. We all have the power to donate live. Have a good evening.